Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Happy to Meet Cute. This is Fallon Ballard here with my intrepid co-host, Courtney K. Courtney! (laughs) (laughs) How's it going, my friend? My fabulous (laughs) Fallon. I love you. I love Um, you. Well, how's it going over there? Because I know that you have been... LOL. Crunching... (laughs) Uh, not crunching the numbers, crunching, like typing a lot lately. I, yeah. Um, it's wild because I am on deadline for a like somewhat unexpected project mm-hmm. and it sort of snuck on me real quick. Um, and so it's been good. I am doing about 2000 words a day, which I think is like the max I can churn out on like a regular consistent basis. Like, uh, to, so like, yeah, I basically told my husband, I was like, well, so I need to get like 60,000 words done and I have about six weeks and he's like, oh, so like 10,000 words a week, like no big deal. Like what's the problem? And I was like, oh yeah. Okay. No, no problem. I got this. Um, (laughs) well, also trying to, you know, still maintain every other facet of my life, but yeah, I have been able to keep up a pretty steady 2k a day. Um, and I think I'm going to (laughs) finish. I don't know if it's going to be any good, but it will be words on the page. Um, and hopefully I'm able to actually talk about what it is soon, but we're recording a little bit in advance today because if you're listening to this on release day, I am currently in New York. Um, <laughs> so as of now, I can't really say what it is, but hopefully I will be able to soon. Yep. As soon and, as you can share. Yes. It will be here on the podcast. For sure. And you <clears throat> are on the final final <gasps> stages of your proposal i'm so yeah. excited this has been um uh, i know we were talking a little bit off air but um yeah it's just been i, I have taken my time with it well life has been very busy and yeah. i as i'm talking to you on deadline while life is busy for you <laughs> <laughs> it's hard it's to, hard like create a writing practice scheduled writing time when life is just like when it's a lot with parenting and a lot with work and a lot with lots of things so yeah um is it helping that you have a window or does that make it worse like um I think in this situation it is helping because um I mean I'll it usually helps me to have a deadline, honestly. Like mm-hmm. I work I work better under pressure that way. So I think in general, that is a good thing for me. I think what is interesting about this one is um, like for me, I typically have more ideas than I have time to write. Mm-hmm. So I feel like when I am like revising one project I'm already like really thinking about what I want to write next and sort of like visualizing the characters and sort of like developing them in my head 
And I didn't have time to do that with this one because it sort of just came about so quickly. So the characters haven't lived in my head for very long. And I think that if I didn't have such a tight deadline, I would just be like moseying along (laughs) and sort of Mm -hmm. giving them time to grow and take shape, which obviously would be nice to be able to do that. But I feel like it's the kind of thing where I maybe wouldn't finish it because I, I don't know. Um, so it's probably a good thing that I have the deadline, but also it's a very tight deadline. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah. But it's okay. We're going to do it. We got this. It's going to be fine. (laughs) You're going to finish it during Nano, Rymo. Yeah, I know. Everybody's like, oh, because as we're recording this, it is tomorrow is November 1st. So everybody on threads is like, who's prepped for nano? I'm starting this new thing. And I'm like, okay, well I am doing nano, but I'm already like halfway through what I need to do. So I really just have to like keep going with that same energy and I'll be, I'll be good. I love that. Yeah. Nano is whatever you need it for. Totally. Totally. Um, but I guess over here, it has been nice to take my time with a new project because it is a new subgenre, and I'm doing dual point of view. Which is fun. Um, But I haven't done it in years. So, like, making sure that the dual point of view makes sense. Yeah. And, like, isn't just like, oh, well, it's this person's turn. So, like, making sure it makes sense with pacing and plot. And, like, I've learned a lot since I did it many years ago while I was learning how to write. Um, Yeah. And it's just so much fun. Like, I actually have, like, a four-part structure to this. And I have, like, full backstory and, like, the history of this made-up island. And, like, I'm so excited. Um, I'm very excited. Okay, well, it's a treasure. It's a treasure. It's a treasure hunt. And I have, like, the – I think I don't – I think it's fine if I say it. It's totally fine. So I have the (laughs) – by the time this airs, I'll already have it with my agent. So there we go. Yeah. Um, Like – so the treasure, it was so fun to make the backstory and like create a like pirate and like all of it. But it took a long time to actually get it to be what I wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, and I'm just grateful. It was like, it feels like it's the story I was supposed to write right now because Good. I was able to take the time to do so. And it's pushing me enough in my craft that's like, it, it makes sense that it would be the next step. Um, you know, with book two, it was just like so rushed with, well, yeah, (laughs) sorry, Fallon. No, it's okay. It's okay. Those Um, are the realities of like writing under contract. Yeah. And like, um, the way that it happened was I, I got it wrong before I got it right. And so it was like the stress of having to rewrite under contract and I really didn't want to go through that again, especially with a project that is very new to me, mm-hmm. um, uh, like n- new stretching my um, craft, you know? So, yeah, um, I'm very excited and hopefully it all works out. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> no pressure, but I am already ready to read it. So <laughs> just send it my way anytime. I can't wait. It's oh my be God. so good. Thank you. It's going to be so good. Oh, amazing. Um, well, what have you been doing in the meantime to help keep your brain calm and oh, sane? Yeah. Is that a thing? 
are our brains allowed to do that? <laughs> yeah. I, so I feel, okay. So I actually bought Dreamlight Valley, which is Disney's, Ooh. um, like Nintendo Switch video game. It's one of the, it's kind of like Animal Crossing, but it has quests and it has all the Disney characters and like, it kind of is, um, much more there's much more to do than an animal crossing mm. and it's so funny because i was like i i like doing it before bed because it's just so soothing yeah um it like helps me kind of turn off like i used to read before bed but you know ever since getting into publishing it's hard to turn off yeah. this is business this is work you know yep um so doing the video game thing has been really helpful and i just lay there with my little <laughs> switch love while that. michael tries to sleep but it was funny because last night um i entered the forest of valor <laughs> and Kristoff was there and i was like Aww. i was like oh my god Kristoff and michael i could just like feel him rolling his eyes <laughs> whatever <laughs> you don't understand that's amazing i love that <laughs> Um, I think my kid is going to ask for a Nintendo Switch for Christmas, and I fully plan to steal it, like, during the day when he's in school. I'm like, oh, well, I'll just be taking that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, you, you have to get this game. It's yeah. $30 for the digital download. Jesus, Disney. <laughs> I know. But it, uh, I know all the video games are, like, so expensive. This is probably one of the lesser, ex less expensive ones. Oh, um, my God. I know. That's just for the original one. If you want the cozy edition, it's $50. What? But I don't know what that means. I guess you get some cozy. Oh, man. I want cozy things. I, I know. <laughs> it's so rude. <laughs> I had to make some difficult decisions. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I'm right. saved well, I love that bucks. for you. You tell me. Yeah. What do you do to self-soothe? Um, I watch a lot of reality TV. <laughs> yes. So bad. So good. Um, but yeah, so good. I mean, of course, I always love my Real Housewives. Um, you know, that will just forever and always be my favorite. Uh, but also, I started the new season of 90 Day Fiance, which is so terrible, but just, <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So that sounds exactly um, like I imagine it would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there are a lot. The people that choose to go on 90 Day Fiance. There are a lot. <laughs> like, um, they do this thing on 90 Day Fiance where they like sort of like slowly introduce you to couples. So next week we're meeting this guy who I forget where his fiance is coming from. Um, but he lives in an apartment and has, like, a lot of pets. Like, he has multiple dogs and then a bunch of guinea pigs. But then also, his mother mm. sleeps mm -hmm. in the walk-in closet. Holy shit. That's, like, her bedroom <laughs> <laughs> of his little tiny apartment that his fiance is, like, coming to America to move in with him in this apartment. And I just am like, oh, my God. Be free, hey. mom. Free, mom. Free the mother. Hey, 
Yeah, so I'm highly, highly looking forward to that train wreck. Um, Oh, so she has no idea what she's walking into. I don't think so. Holy shit. (laughs) It's going to be amazing for me. Sucks for her, but can't wait. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and God, what else? Oh, I have been watching, so I did go back because um, new episodes of Our Flag Means Death are oh, out yeah. but i wanted to watch the first season again first so i'm re-watching season one right now and it's just it's such a good show i love it so much um i don't know man i just love taiko atiti i'm he can do no wrong in my book i know mm. he does some weird shit but i'm here for it i'm here for it <laughs> I every cannot time wait to just become like fully invested in that show oh my god courtney i know well the nice thing about it, too, is the episodes are all, like, less than a half an hour. Mm. So it's one of those that you can go through, like, really quickly. Um, yeah, because it's, like, 10 episodes, and each one's, like, 25 minutes-ish. So I could do that. You can fly through that. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I have to tell you something. What? <laughs> I met somebody who works on The Golden Bachelor. Oh. Okay. And I like freaked out like I was a big fan of the show. And they were like, oh, do you watch it? I'm like, actually, I've never seen it. But um, I know about it because of my friends. Yes. (laughs) And I'm like talking to them about like people on the show. And they're like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I have to tell you something about The Bachelor in Paradise. So this is like public knowledge, I think, because I think, okay, anyway, um, it's fine. So during Bachelor in Paradise, one of the first seasons, I think, mm-hmm. um, there was a hotel where, like, they keep all of the contestants. Yeah. And they have, like, a contestant handler, you know, yeah. for, like, oversee. Well, one of the camera people ended up uh, getting very close with one of the contestants. Mm-hmm. Got caught. Do you know the story? Yeah, I can't remember who it is, but I remember yeah. at the time that it was, like, a big deal. So this is, like, Bachelor lore, but I am just hearing about it. So this dude gets caught in the hotel room with one of the contestants by, you know, the film film crew, producers, whoever. Instead of, like, hiding under the bed or something, this guy jumps out of the three-story building out of the what? window. Yeah. No lie. This employee (laughs) breaks both of his ankles while they're taking this guy to the hospital. They're filming him, like, because this is footage. Yeah. And obviously they get, he gets fired. Um, But then because it was such good entertainment, he comes back on the show as a contestant. What? Yeah, they brought him back on the show, like in a in a later season. So now I haven't done my research, um, but I you know have a reputable source. So now I have to go back. And like <laughs> okay, because I this. I do remember hearing about a contestant who was hooking up with somebody from production. That I remember hearing. Yeah, yeah. But I don't remember that production person ever being a contestant. Maybe they didn't tell you. Like, this was the person. 
but with with Bachelor in Paradise, how it works is all of the people that come to the island were on the previous seasons of The Bachelor or Bachelorette as like people who got rejected. Okay. So it would have been weird if they were suddenly like, here is this guy, Joe, who is a camera person. Like everybody would have been like, who the hell is that? We don't know him. Yeah. So I'm interested. Maybe he's on. I haven't watched this season of Bachelor in Paradise, so maybe he's on this season. Maybe. Yeah. All right. If you know the tea on that, please let us know. (laughs) Fill us in. My God. There were just like so many stories. Like, One of the Bachelor in Paradise, they were filming this one contestant, and I guess it's filmed. But they're in Mexico, and she gets on camera, and she's like, aloha! (laughs) (laughs) I bet more than one of them has done that. (laughs) Fucking idiot. That's amazing. Also, I feel like that's the kind of thing I would do in a moment where I was, like, really nervous, you know? Like... (laughs) That's fair. Oh, Fallon, that's so considerate. I'm like, stupid idiot. And you're like, oh, that's why I might do it. No, it is. They all are not usually the brightest people ever. So, you know, that makes sense. But I also feel like that's the kind of thing that I would do. (laughs) And then just like die about it forever. This was a real, this was a great conversation I had. This was at one party. And then I met another person who like... Help design the Mandalorian ships. Ooh, that's I was fun. Like, never leaving this place. <laughs> this is too bad. Oh my god, that's amazing. All right. Well, we have an amazing episode coming up with Evelyn Skye, who oh. was an absolute dream on the podcast. And then she came to Boozy Book Brunch a couple weeks ago now and is like so delightful and kind and generous and smart. Um, And she it was just like so amazing to meet her in person. And like, how cool is she? Like, she literally came on the podcast and I was like, two days later, I was like, hey, we're having this event in like three weeks. You want to come? And she was like, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, I fucking love her. Um, Me too. And she's just incredible and such a good person and so kind. And her book is so freaking good. It's not even fair. She's so humble and, like, she's literally going to have a Netflix series. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. Nobody ever give me give me a Netflix series. Nobody do it. Because I'll be like... <laughs> You would not do that at all. You would be. <laughs> She's would be... so gracious and humble yeah. and like beautiful and kind. Like I literally, I love you, Evelyn. <laughs> um, and but I will no. say too, we have a really good conversation on this episode about like querying agents and finding the right fit for you and yeah. what questions you should ask on agent phone calls and just like uh, some conversations that we haven't had before that in depth I don't think um so if you are a writer who is looking to dive into that I think this is going to be a good episode and have some good info for you she is such an industry like she's veteran should I say like she's yeah yeah man and um she has such good like knowledge and she shares it so graciously so yeah generously yes so she is amazing so stay tuned and we will be right back with Evelyn Skye 
Hi, happy to meet cute fam. We are so excited to have you back with us. We, um, Fallon and I are fanning so hard right now. We have Evelyn Skye with us and Evelyn Skye is a New York Times bestselling author of books for adults, young adults, and children. Her highly anticipated forthcoming novels include Damsel, which will also be a Netflix film starring Millie Bobby Brown, Robin Wright, and Angela Bassett, and The Hundred Loves of Juliet. Evelyn is a graduate of Stanford University and Harvard Law School. <laughs> what? Like, it's hard? I had to say that. <laughs> <laughs> she lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her husband and daughter. It is so good to have you, Evelyn. And thank, thank you for you. dealing with my legally blonde joke. <laughs> Thank you both so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. My gosh. Um, Your book is just so absolutely Mm -hmm. gorgeous and perfect and... Deeply romantic. Yes. I was saying this before we started recording that I like finished it and was like crying yeah. and then read your author's note and then cried some more yeah. and then read your acknowledgements and then cried some more. Good cry. <laughs> yeah. Good but cry. It was like a good cry. It was a good cry. Um, and it was just like, just so wonderful and amazing. And it just made my heart all warm and squishy. Thank you so much. That's like one of the things I always say for to readers who haven't read the book yet or any of my books, really. It's like, I'm sorry for making you cry. Just ahead of time. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's I do want to be clear that it's like a good cry. Like, Yeah, it's always they're... a happy cry. I think. Yes. <laughs> I, I am just such an incorrigible optimist that it would be impossible for me to write a book that was like mean crying or just like, I don't know, really gray down in the dumps kind of crying yeah yeah i love that um okay well for listeners that might not have read the book yet can you tell us a little bit about the hundred loves of juliet yeah okay so the hundred loves of juliet is like grumpy meets sunshine romeo and juliet reincarnation epic love story Mm-hmm. And the longer premise is what if Shakespeare got it wrong and Romeo never died, but Juliet did, and she's reincarnated over and over. And every time he meets her across centuries, they fall in love, but then he has to watch her die again. And so the tragedy keeps repeating, except this story is mostly set in modern day and they're in Alaska. And this time, Juliet, whose name is Helene in this life, she refuses to believe in their tragedy. And so the question is can they finally break their curse? And so The Hundred Loves of Juliet, like I said, it's contemporary romance. It's set almost all in modern day, but then we get flashbacks, historical flashbacks of their past lives as different Montagues, and Juliet always has a different name. She never remembers her past, but he always remembers. And so he's carrying this epic, epic love for this woman, and every time, you know, she doesn't know. And then every time he meets her, she he knows she's going to lose her again. But maybe this time. Hmm. <laughs> I just love him so much. <laughs> I do. I know. I love him. This is like one of those romances I've been longing for. Like just that, just the epic, sweeping, like all-consuming love. What inspired you to write this? So I came up with this story idea, just like the main plot years ago. And it felt like it was missing a soul at that time. So it's like, I knew, okay, we'll have Ageless Romeo. There's a Juliet who's reincarnated. And like, that's kind of a cool plot. Like, it's a great high concept, right? But it felt 
thin at that point, even though it had a great plot. And so I set it aside. And I always wanted to write something that was very time traveler's wife, like, mm-hmm. you know, or, or like more, I guess, a more modern reference people like Addie LaRue that doesn't have like the same love story aspect, but it has that kind of epic across centuries feel. And so the idea didn't have that yet. And then I met my husband, I fell in love with him. Um, and then sadly, he got very sick and he almost died. Um, he, had, he has a genetic disease that was incurable and basically was turning his lungs into the equivalent of stone. So like it couldn't process oxygen anymore. So mm-hmm. he was on life support and the only potential way to save him was a lung transplant, which we were very, very lucky that he received uh, um, an organ match and he's doing so well. His, oh, so glad to hear. I know his fourth anniversary of his lung transplant is coming up. It will have already mm-hmm. passed by the time this podcast is out and live. So we're so happy. Um, But that experience of having found the love of my life, you know, later in my life, like I had many failed relationships as other people have had, but finally finding this man who is basically a romance book hero, right? And thinking I found my soulmate, but then losing him, almost Mm. losing him so soon because he was diagnosed 10 months after we were married. And then his lungs just fell apart, basically, and he was in the hospital. So the ability to have the second chance, right? We talk about his lung transplant as his second chance, like his reincarnation. That was the soul that I needed for this book. And I think that when I went through that very personal life experience, the intense love, the potential of loss, you know, it's, it is actually such a universal feeling because so many people Mm -hmm. have lost loved ones, or they know people with chronic illness, you know, or they have suffered through things themselves. And that makes this story so much more real, I think. Mm-hmm. And it makes their romance, it gives us so much depth. And that's what I needed more than just a high concept plot. Yeah. Yeah. And was it like a safe space for you to be able to work through a lot of those feelings and like feel that hope? And, and- yeah, it really, it really was. So the interesting thing is when, before you have, an organ transplant, at least at the hospital we are at, which is at Stanford, the patient is required to go through counseling. And so the therapist has to go through all of the issues, you know, because it's a huge, huge thing they're about to go through. And then afterwards, there's so much change, recovery, and the spouse or the partner is always invited to go as well. And I went to one one or two of the sessions, and it just wasn't doing anything for me. And I think it's because for me, like, I just have a wall up. That's how I survive. You know, i block things off. I very, I compartmentalize a lot. But what I can do is when I write a story, I give mm-hmm. everything to my characters. And so the things that Sebastian, um, who is Romeo, Sebastian Montague, he goes through when he's so madly in love with this woman, and he's so afraid of losing her. All of those thoughts are real things that I went through. You know, I think he has a moment where he's in the bathroom, and he sees like her toothbrush or her towel or something. And he has this moment where he flickers to a future when she's no longer there. And there's only one towel or only one toothbrush. And that's something that I've actually thought before, right? Um, But then at the same time, Helene, who is the reincarnated Juliet, she is such an optimist. She's so hopeful. And that was actually the other side of me and how I got through this whole thing. I just had this belief that, I don't know, our our love was so strong and we were going to get through it. I just... It's not so much about the love, right? Because that's not fair to say, like, if something bad happens and it's like, oh, well, your love wasn't strong enough. But for us, for some reason, I just felt like there was going to be a future. And I so I believed in it, just like Helene just refuses to believe that 
this tragedy, this cycle of Juliet's dying is going to happen to her. And Sebastian is like, what are you talking about? I've seen you die over and over again for hundreds of years. So those two things combined are so much me, but I think it always, always it, um, it balances it out, right? It makes a story so that, like Fallon said, it's not sad crying. It's a happy cry because you are rooting for these two characters and how deeply they love each other and how good they are for each other. And her sunshine balances out his melancholy. I, I was, maybe not grumpiness, melancholy in this case. <laughs> yeah. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. And I, yeah, I think for me, what made the story so powerful as a reader was when you're reading Sebastian's point of view and he is just having these moments of grief and worry and, you know, fear for the future. And those did just feel so, so real. Like you could just like, it's one of those books when you're like reading it and I always like get like little chest pains, you know, like, <laughs> and that doesn't happen very often, but it like, it does happen in when you're in those moments and you're like, the, the writing is so strong and the feelings are so there on the page that as the reader, I'm like experiencing them as well. I don't know if that made any sense. But... Oh, absolutely. You're like aching <laughs> for these characters. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. And you could feel the, the authenticity of that. Um, yeah as you were reading it's interesting though to me because like I try not to read reviews but I you know sometimes you accidentally see things on social media and I have found that readers come to the story you know they bring their own their own stories as well right their yes. lives their histories the people they know the things they've been through and um and some people they might have similar experiences and they'll shut it off just like I do if like you put up that wall but also some people haven't experienced that yet, right? Um, and I'm so happy for them that their lives haven't been touched by, you know, the loss and fear and sickness. And so people are able to read the story on two levels. I've, mm. And like, it's very satisfying, it seems to people to you can read it just as this great epic love story of Romeo and Juliet through centuries. And now here they are again. And then you can also, if you choose to, you know, let down your walls, or if you have been through it yourself and you bring that to the table, you can read it at that deeper level where you also feel their their fear and their loss and how much this means to them. Oh. And as a reader, what a beautiful story to come back to at different points in your life, you know, when you need that hope and that positivity. Yeah, I love that. I love that a lot. Amazing. What, what was your... Um, like writing process with this one, if you want to share. Yeah, so this was interesting. So I went through several drafts with my agent. And so this was the first adult book that I wrote. I'd been writing YA before this. So when I told my agent, I want to break into adult fiction, I want to write this epic love story. She said, the first thing I want you to do is just take a month off and read. I want you to read so many different books and figure out what kind of book you want to write. Because we can all say that we write romance, but there's so many kinds of romance, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. so she gave me this entire list of books that she thought maybe sounded like what I wanted to write. And so I read them. And then I was like, okay, I, I got this. I got this. I'm going to write this draft. So I wrote the draft and then I revised it and then I sent it to her. And, you know, she, she loved the concept and she loved the writing mostly. But then she said to me, I can tell which books and what kind of books you were pulling influence from and maybe that you were like writing reading and writing at the same time she's like so I feel a little bit of time traveler's wife 
and then I feel some rom-com. And then were you reading Fifty Shades of Grey? (laughs) (laughs) That is not what I expected. And so I was, I mean, I, I blushed when, you know, I got her email and she was like, so like, she's, and she said, you can really write whichever one you want, but you have to choose Elaine. You can't have all of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would like to read this Fifty Shades of Grey draft. So if you could send that to me, please. <laughs> Ironic because now all of a sudden the market is like, we want super spicy stuff and it's not just really, really on the outskirts anymore of romance, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I like to tell my agent now that I was actually ahead of my time, but <laughs> it's totally her fault because she edited that out. And so this is not a Fifty Shades of Grey book. Yeah, you could do some outtakes, <laughs> right? That's I love amazing. that. What an amazing agent, though, to, to say, like, take time, mm-hmm. read, and like, really think about what you want to do. That's yeah, very she's cool. fantastic. So like, she's my third agent. I signed with her for a different idea, which used to be a YA idea. And I was like, I want to make it adult. And I was working on that for her. But then I said, I don't think this book is working. This is not the book that's calling to me. I want to work on this idea, this Romeo and Juliet reincarnation love story. And I was bracing myself for like, no, I signed you for this book. You know, you need to do this one first. And she just said, take as much time as you need. And I want you to write whatever is calling to your heart, because that's Mm. the story that's going to be the best story. And so she was just really patient and let me do what I needed to do, which was incredible. Amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that's a good um, segue into chatting about uh, finding a team that you can trust. And I love that your agent said that. My agent said something very similar to me when my first book uh, was on submission and my first book did not end up selling. Um, And this was like in the beginning of the pandemic. And so she really was like, just sit down and write what feels best for you. And that ended up being the book that sold. Um, And I think that that is so essential to have that support from a team. And especially with an agent who literally does not make money until you actually sell something to give you the space to find like what really works for you is just like a really powerful thing. Yeah. She's, she's amazing. So like for context, my background for any of the writers out there who are listening or just readers who are curious about what goes into making an author. So I am on my third agent now and the editor for the hundred love of Juliet is my fifth editor. It doesn't mean I've gotten rid of all the other editors in the the past, but I have worked with five editors now um, all at like, you know, different publishing imprints. And my journey was that I wrote eight manuscripts that were never published before I signed a book deal for my ninth book. And then I, The Hundred Loves of Juliet is my eighth published book, but along the way, I've had two more that didn't sell. And so even once you get in the industry and you've published books, you still send your manuscripts out on submission. And sometimes that's not what any editor wants, or that's not what the market wants. And so it just, that's what happens. And then I've already written my ninth and 10th book. Those are coming out next year. So basically I think the tally now is 20 full length book type of things and 10 of those made it into being published books mm-hmm. so that's the context yeah and I I do also like to say that I think with agents there are there are good agents for you at different stages of your career and so I don't regret at all having had whatever agents I had in the past and then 
changing when I felt like it was an inflection point in my career and I needed something else. But right now, my agent, Tao Lei, she's perfect for me right now. She gets my work. That one was such an interesting thing because um, she was closed to queries at that time, which is the way that writers solicit agents and say, hey, here's what I'm working on. Would you be interested in working with me, you know, sell this book, make it better, et cetera. And one of my friends, Roshni Chakshi, actually was working with Tao at the time. And so I said, hey, Rosh, would you be willing to just put in a word, good word for me because I'm looking for a new agent? And I was querying other agents as well. And so she emailed Tao and then Tao immediately wrote back to me and said, oh my gosh, I would love to see what you're working on because I was actually at one of your events at a bookstore when you're on tour for your second book. And she was there incognito, incognito, not as an agent, just as a reader. So I never knew she was there, right? So that seemed like such a good match to me that she had already been like a fan of my work at that time because it told me that she understood me and like the kind of stories I like to tell, the kind of characters that I love, right? And so, yeah, I talked to other agents. I mean, there are other ones that were fantastic, but I, you know, sometimes it just feels like that first one, that match is just like, that's the one, there's some magic to that. So she's incredible. And um, like I said, I've had five different editors. My editor for The 100 Loves of Juliet is Anne Grohl. She's also the editor for Game of Thrones and um, Naomi Novik's series, like mm-hmm. all of the, the Skolomance series and um, His Majesty's Dragon, which I'm a huge fan of. Anyway, Anne is huge in the fantasy space. I was actually surprised when my agent Tao wanted to send this book to an editor known for fantasy, like a Game of Thrones kind of fantasy, you know? Because this is a contemporary love story. The the only bit of magic is the fact that Romeo hasn't died, you know, and Sebastian is still here with us. And then Juliet keeps coming back. But that magic doesn't even really get explained, right? It's just in the background. It's just that, that hint of that something that happens. So I, when Anne made the offer for the book, she said, and this goes back to what we were talking about, right? About the different kinds of romance books that I was, I was writing. She said, this manuscript is great. I love the idea. It's almost there, but it's not there yet. And mm. right now it would be great as a light romantic read. And she says, and I think it'd be fantastic. And if you want to do that, like, I wish you the best. But if you want to dig in a little bit deeper, you know, and go raw and you have to expose your nerves, you know, all of your memories, like maybe open up to things you don't want to feel, but Mm. will make the book so much more real. Then she said, I want this book. I want to be the one Mm. who guides you and, and makes this vision come true, right? Like she sees the potential. And I thought I'm all in, I'm all in. I'm so scared, but Mm. this is what I wanted. And so she really was the perfect editor because the book wasn't there yet, but she saw what I wanted it to be, what I believed it should be. And then she took me there. And then she's done that for my next book, which is coming out next year, which is a secret and I can't talk about yet, but she just gets me, which is incredible. And so this is like the absolute dream, right? To find an editor and agent team that are not only rock stars and like, yeah, they can get you a good book deal with like, you know, enough to pay the bills, you know, more than enough to pay the bills as actually, you know, ideal, but people who really understand you as an artist, because that's what we are at the core, right? Writers are artists. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, yeah, that's so important. And um, I know Courtney and I have both talked on here before that we both feel very lucky because we also have great agent and editor teams. 
And I feel very lucky because I am currently working on my fourth book with my same editor. And I know, especially at this point in time, how rare that is because there's just so much fluctuation and turnover in publishing. That's just sort of like how it works. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am terrified of her leaving. I'm like, please don't ever abandon me. I can't (laughs) handle it. Um, But I think what is so cool is that the more you work with someone, and I think my agent and I have developed this as well, where it's like, they really understand my process at this point and, um, you know, give me the space to explore what is going to work best for me. And that is just something that like, it, like you just can't replicate that. Like really having that trust in each other is just so essential and so magical when it really works like that. Yeah, I think you're right. Trust is really that key, right? Because I can tell my agent or my editor, okay, I've got this idea, you know what the idea is, and now I'm going to go away and I'll talk to you for three months. Yeah. And they just trust me that I'm working. And after three months, I'll come back to them with something good, you know, or if it's not that good, then I trust now that I have, I've handed it to my editor and she's going to give me that feedback, which happened with my next book where like, it was like, it was close, but then it was still missing something. And she, she came back and she's like, I know, I know exactly what we need and exactly where we need to do it. And I've laid out the scenes for you. I'm like, oh my God, you're <gasps> like my favorite person. Oh, amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. What a great partnership. Wow. Yeah. Also, I just can't even imagine how um, incredible of an editor you have to be to edit Game of Thrones. <laughs> so. Right? I keep wanting to ask her when when it's coming the next book. She probably wants <laughs> to know that too. That's probably true. I feel like it would kind of like cross a line if I'm like, hey, so like I know I work with you as a writer, but also like as a fan, like give me the inside scoop, you know? I mean, I feel like that shows a lot of restraint on your part because I feel like I probably would have broken down by now. Well, maybe she'll listen to this and she can DM us. Right? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Incredible. Incredible. What advice would you give to people sort of still building their team? The hardest thing to do when you're starting out is to be honest about who you are and what Mm. you need. Because Mm. when we're beginning in this industry, there's so many more writers than there are agents who can represent us or shelf space where our books can be published. And so because of that scarcity, I think that we often want to mold ourselves to whatever we can Mm -hmm. get right like we're just so grateful like oh my gosh I'm so grateful I'm so grateful that somebody even like you know read my query I'm so grateful for like anyone who even like looked my way and considered you know like sent me even like a form rejection like I'm so happy they even did that because a lot of times it's just if there's no response it means no right yeah and so when you first get that agent there's that temptation to just say yes and to think I'm all in this is it right and A lot of times I've seen people sign with agents that like, they're asking me for advice and they're, I can tell they already know in their gut that this person is not right for them, Mm -hmm. but they're just so desperate for it. And I don't, I don't actually know if the right answer is don't sign and wait longer, or maybe sign and then get some experience and realize, okay, this didn't work for me. You know, maybe it's a slightly more painful process to like have an agent and then not have an agent, but it's maybe part of the learning process as well but it's also very brave to be like this isn't what I need and I'm going to wait you know for someone who fits better with me so 
I think that's important. It's like, you know, learning like what is your editorial style? Do you want someone who's super blunt? Do you want someone who's like going to be your pseudo therapist that you can text every day? You know, for me, I prefer having like a little bit of distance so that my agent and my editor are like, we're professional colleagues and some people prefer to be friends. And so it really just depends on your personality. But I also have a friend who is terrified of their agent. And, (laughs) you know, it's kind of sad because they're always scared of like, oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, what is my agent going to say? But at the same time, I think strangely, they work really well together because the agent is so sharp and blunt. And it's a contrast to like the very gentle artist soul of my friend. And so maybe it works out just fine. (laughs) But I, for me, I would not like to be terrified of my agent. (laughs) No, No, I could not handle that. Um, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of similar. Like, I feel like my agent and I have a very like business relationship. Um, And actually, when I was deciding between agents, I was like, do I go with the business one? Or do I go with the one who like could be my friend? Um, And I definitely made the right decision. And for me in going with the the business one, but I do feel like it's important that you're able to ask questions of your agent. And even if they because I feel like sometimes, especially when you're just starting out, so much of publishing is just cloaked in mystery Mm -hmm. and you sometimes have to ask questions that feel like stupid questions you know um but being able to ask those questions when you need to I think is is really important absolutely definitely Yeah. yeah um but yeah I remember that feeling of querying and being like I'll take whoever's gonna take me like I don't care like I just want somebody you know like once you have an agent if you feel like maybe like you've, you know, your time together has run out, it's like, you know, it's, it's a relationship, right? So sometimes you're dating someone and it's been great for a few years, but then you're like, I don't see a future together mm. anymore. Mm. But it's so hard to leave the agent, right? Because we have been like taught that once you get the agent, like you hold on for dear life because they're very rare and you might not get another one, right? You get one unicorn in your life. Mm. But I think you need to, trust yourself right like if if you really feel like it's not working anymore you hopefully have that confidence in yourself as a writer at that point too to be like okay I need something else but I know it's so so hard because I've left agents twice now to look for another agent and each time it's terrifying to leave because you don't have that safety net anymore because at least when you have an agent even if they're not perfect anymore you're like yeah but there's like someone to hang out with at home, right? We can watch movies together. We don't love each other anymore, but you know, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and I think too, there's that saying, especially when you're first querying that saying of no agent is better than a bad agent or bad for you agent. Um, because I have, like, I have seen heartbreaking things where like, my, you know, you have a friend and they signed with somebody that they maybe have some red, flags about or qualms about but like you know what it's an agent it's I can get my book out there and what ends up happening is you know this agent doesn't treat them well makes them feel bad about themselves makes them feel uncomfortable and unsupported and then they go through the sub process doesn't sell and then that project is now shelved because it's seen 
a wide array of editors. And so it can't really go out again for quite a while. So it's, uh, that's, that's heartbreaking because then, you know, your career is stalled and what felt like a really good or like last chance decision to get this agent may have only been like a little bit of a wait to get the agent that was right for you, you know, and then going into the sub process, feeling supported and having good communication. And um, yeah, yeah, that's, t- that's really tough to see. And I have yeah, seen I- that happen. Oh, sorry, Evelyn. I have uh, seen that oh, happen no. to friends and then they ended up getting a great agent. So like it, it, it happens, but like, it's never over, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think like just playing off of what you're saying, maybe one thing you should ask if you're getting your first agent is yeah. like, what what revisions, right? You should really ask them like, what revisions do you think we need to do? And if someone tells you, I don't think we really need to do anything, that to me is actually a red flag, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. your, e- your ego would love it if you're like, I wrote the perfect thing and they're going to sell it tomorrow. But realistically, <laughs> your agent should be helping you make it better, right? You're giving them something that's like, 90% there and they should take it to 95% and then your editor will take it that last 5%. But if they're like, oh, it's great, then maybe it is a situation where they're just trying to take on as many clients as possible to mm. send things on submission and then see what spaghetti sticks to the wall, right? And But they're not putting that time in. They're not caring enough about your project. Like not always, but very possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I had one offer with an agent um, who is very, very kind. But when I asked who do you see this going out to? Like, who who do you have in mind to send this manuscript to? What editors? And they said, oh, I don't really like to divulge that information in case it doesn't work out. And that was immediately Ooh. a red flag because it was like, well, do they have relationships with editors then? Um, like, I feel like a confident agent should be like, this is where I see it. This is These are the houses. These are the people who would be at the top of my list to send it to. And there's no issue with saying that, you know, um, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Like, obviously, you keep going down the the row. But um, that's a good question to ask. I, I love talking about this. We haven't talked about this on the pod yet. But and then just asking, like, what's your communication style like? Um, how often do you communicate? Um, you know, how how quickly do you get back to emails? I mean, like, these are all like you're interviewing this person for your to represent you. So these are all like really good questions. And if you're a diverse author, you know, like I know I was asking, like, do you represent other queer clients? Like, do you represent other queer manuscripts? Um, Cause you want to know that this person has your, your back and they're championing, championing you. <laughs> um, and what so many other questions that, Oh, also ask for references. And then what I did too, was I went on Twitter at the time, and looked who was also represented by this agent, my agent now, and went into their DMs and was like, hey, you know, I wasn't referred to you, but how is your experience? Because sometimes those people will be even more honest with you. So don't be afraid to do that detective work. And also, um, you know, of course, look at their recent deals if you can. And if you don't have a subscription to Publishers Marketplace, because it's like stupid pricey, (laughs) um, just ask a friend who can check for you. Yeah. I also think it's really important to ask when you have that agent conversation, what happens if this book doesn't sell? Yes. 
um, because it's not uncommon for that first book that you send out on submission to not sell. It happened to me. It happens to many, 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 many people. Yeah. Um, and so it's important to know how your agent is going to handle that. And one thing that my agent said to me on our phone call that really stuck with me is she was like, I don't just like this book. I like your writing. And yeah. I was like, okay, because you want somebody that is going to want to be with you for the long term, you know, un- as long as it feels good and comfortable for you. And um, you definitely don't want somebody who's just going to throw you out if that first book doesn't sell. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We're, we're in this for a career, right? Like we're in this to build a readership and to keep on hopefully writing books for our readers. And so you want a team behind you that has that same vision. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it really is amazing when you find the right people and it all mm-hmm. sort of it's magic. Clicks. Yeah. 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 And there are so many resources online um, with lots of questions to ask. And I literally, I remember being on the call and saying, I have a lot of questions to ask you and I just have them here. So can I just go down the line? And my agent was like, yeah, absolutely. So that was, that felt good to just be like upfront. And, you know, that's also a huge green flag is if they're willing to answer tons of questions. I'm sorry if you can hear my cat using the litter box. <laughs> oh, man. We can't, but now we know. <laughs> it's important to get the cat updates as we record. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we are going to move on to our next topic, which I'm super excited about because both Courtney and I were saying that we have never been to a comic-con before and this is kind of like a new thing for you yeah where you have been going and i for years and years and years had no idea that there were authors and book things at comic-con and now i'm like okay how do i write a book <laughs> cool enough to get me it's on our bucket list now <laughs> no idea either about comic-con i mean i'd heard of some authors going but I thought it was like there were maybe like three authors who would go and they happened to be writing a Star Wars book or something <laughs> that was tied into a movie. Yeah. But this year, because my publisher is actually very much in the sci-fi and fantasy space, Comic-Con is one of their big things. And so they took me to Emerald City Comic-Con up in Seattle and also San Diego Comic-Con, which I was just at. And then I was invited because of those to Phoenix Fan Fusion, like not through my publisher, just through the, the con itself. So I've been to three this year, and I have to tell you, the literary portions of the Comic-Cons are enormous. It's it's madness. And there are people who go to Comic-Con just for the books. Like, they're, yeah, it's nice. They'll go see Jeremy Renner while they're there. But they're actually there. (laughs) Authors go to the panels. There are, like, aspiring writers who want advice. There's readers who are just huge, huge fans who are there for ARCs or just to meet their favorite authors. It's amazing. It That's is cool. a whole new world and the energy is just, it's so great. And it's this massive conference center full of happy, happy nerds. It's mm-hmm. the best. You're My welcome. people. <laughs> um, is it mostly like fantasy sci-fi authors? Um, a lot of it is, but... There were plenty of people there who are interested in my book, you know, which was contemporary. And there were some like Greek retellings at mm-hmm. San Diego Comic-Con that were also very popular, which really is not fantasy or sci-fi at mm-hmm. all. So 
And then, of course, there's a lot of people there for Dungeons and Dragons books and Minecraft books, which one of my friends writes a ton of. And so, like, that's kind of like, that's how I think the book part, the literary part of Comic-Con started was with those IP, like, licensed tie-in sort of books. But, yeah, it's it's so amazing. People come with their, they've by the end of one day of Comic-Con, they've got their canvas bags totally full of books, just like any other book festival. And it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And then, of course, it's like you're at a book festival, except people are in costume. <laughs> the best. That's so love- fun. That's so cool. I've always wanted to go to Comic-Con. I'm a huge nerd. I love all the Marvel and Star Wars and all of that. Yeah. Um, but I am, like, scared to go because I feel like it's just going to be so overwhelming that I'm not going to be able to, like, handle yeah, it's, it. It's a lot. It's definitely a lot. And so, like, you have to employ whatever like anxiety reducing techniques that you personally need and another thing you have to hydrate like make sure you hydrate because you kind of forget you enter this massive convention center where there's like tens of thousands of people and it's dark so you forget what time of day it is and you don't mm-hmm. notice time passing and all of a sudden you're like god I don't feel, feel very good and you realize it's no. been like six hours since you've had anything to drink right so hydrating is like super super important snacks mm-hmm. I also like because when I was doing my signings, so I I tried to ask people like how their cons going, like what their favorite parts are, and some people would talk about like it's it's a lot. There's just so much going on because there are booths everywhere. It's not just books, right? It's like around you have all these artists, like comic book artists, um, graphic novels, jewelry. It's so amazing. 3D printed dragons, all sorts of things. But it's a lot of stimulation, you know? Yeah. And so. One of the things I try to do early on in a con is I try to find where there's a quiet space that you can escape to. And so when I was in San Diego, I found this one place. It was upstairs and there was like an outdoor courtyard and hardly anyone knew about it. Or maybe it was just people didn't care because they were going around to all the panels and stuff. But when people would come through my signing line saying they're feeling way overwhelmed, I would say, hey, take this escalator, go to this place or this elevator. And it's quiet and go have lunch there and just like take an hour off, you know, like you don't have to do everything all at once. It's okay. And there's going to be too much anyway for you to see. You can't do it all. So take a break. It's good for you. I love that. That's so good. Yeah. Um, We just recently went to Stimulate Con and it was uh, both of our first times doing something like that. And I think for both of us, one of our, like the highlights of it was, we all just went outside for mm-hmm. breakfast one day and it was like we had been in the hotel for like two days straight. And so like getting fresh air made such a huge impact to just like be outside in the yes. world for a minute. Yeah. I yeah, love there's, that. there's different ways of getting energy and feeling invigorated. And I think when you're inside a stimulant con or a comic con, you feel a lot of that excitement and fan energy, you know, that kind of boils you, boys you up, buoys you up, buoys you up. Um, <laughs> but then going outside, you know, and be like, oh, there's sunshine and there's a world out here. Like, that's also yes. incredible in its own way. Yeah. Breathing yeah. fresh air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, the not circulated air. That was an important thing for me. I was like, ah, oh, oh, this is amazing. Okay. Well, I want to go now. going to seattle emerald city comic-con is it's a very literary town and so this was really interesting was that my publicist told me that they send different authors to different comic-cons based on who the attendees are and so Mm. some are very very like 
pop culture based. They want the Marvel and the Star Wars and they won't really care about your book that isn't slotted into one of those things. But Emerald City, they actually, this is what I've been told, don't like as much the things that are movie tie-ins or TV show tie-ins. They want just books. Like they're just pure literary people. So that was really cool. That is cool. Did you have That's some amazing. favorite cosplays that you saw? Um, Alina Starkov from Shadow and Bone. She came to my signing line. So oh that was God. awesome. Yes, that was. And I think she made the costume herself. It was incredible. I just want to know how people travel like, yeah. and bring their yeah. costumes with them like on their plane flight, right? How? How do you how? do that? And let's see. Oh, at, in Phoenix, we almost had a um, people crushing, got trampling situation, unfortunately, because there were these two escalators, like one and then there, one went down and then fed onto a platform and then there was another one that went down. So there's a small platform where you're not really supposed to be standing. But what happened was there were there was a group of people in cosplay and they're in these huge like mech robot type of costumes that were huge and they couldn't see the steps of the escalator in front of them. So they needed like someone to help guide them onto the escalator because otherwise they would fall all the way down, right? So like you definitely oh have to help them. But because they were waiting for a break, you know, in the traffic, which doesn't break, like then we all got backed up. And so I was, me and my friends were coming down the second escalator and we saw that that platform was packed already and no one was moving. And there was like this tiny space in the back where people could have moved. And so I'm a mom, right? So the mom in me starts taking control and I just start screaming like, move, 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 and so people then started like slowly moving to that space because they didn't, the people on the platform had no idea. They didn't realize that there are still people coming down and there was going to be a very, very bad situation about to happen. Oh, oh my God, God. That's terrifying. But okay, to make you feel better at some <laughs> cons, apparently when they know this is a common thing, people have, I think it's like dragon, con, something with dragon. Anyway, they know that you just walk in place on the escalator. So you do not ride it down. So everyone will just walk in place for like 15 minutes while traffic is clearing below them, which is genius, right? Wild. I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Mental note. Right? <laughs> what does the walking in place do? Like keeps things moving? No, you stay, like, you're in the same place. So, so you let the stairs the keep coming behind you. Okay. And so no one advances, basically. You're just like, it's like treading water. Oh my God. Like you're on a stair climber. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Oh my God. Okay. Whoa. That's good to know for the future. Yes. That's good to know. Yes. All okay. of our future Comic Cons, we're going to be. <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited for your future. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Now I just have to write something cool enough to get me invited. <laughs> no, I'm not. So I'll put that on my list. Um, all right. Well, we don't want to keep you for too much longer, but I have to say, as I was reading this book, um, it made me hungry at mm -hmm. many points in time, in particular for these like Nutella uh, pastries that I was like, okay, I need these immediately. Um, so I know food is something that you are into in general. So did you consciously work that into this book or does it just kind of like come as you're writing? It's a little bit of both because I'm just, food is such a huge part of my life. I schedule my daily schedule around when I'm going to eat. Oh, wow. And I don't understand people who forget to eat, like my husband. I actually, he works from home most days and I go in and I bring him lunch when I make my uh -huh. lunch because my lunch is on my daily schedule, right? Because <laughs> otherwise it'll be four o'clock and he'll be like, oh, 
yeah, I forgot to eat. So anyway, I bring him lunch to make sure that, you know, he survives. But I like, I, it's so fun for me to come up with like a signature food for each book that I'm working on. Mm. And so in this one, the Nutella Cornetti that you're talking about, they are Italian pastries that have Nutella in the center. And what it is, is that Romeo makes these for Juliet in every single lifetime. It is her favorite food, one of the few consistent things that happens throughout centuries through her different reincarnations. And so that's what they have for breakfast every day. And then in the in-between lives, when he's not with her, he still has one every day for breakfast, just so that he can be close to her. <laughs> so that I, I love that one. And then I came up with a cheater recipe. His version in the book is much more involved because, of course, he's a proper pastry chef. But my version, I have an Instagram video where I did one that was just two ingredients. Basically, it's just puff pastry and Nutella. And if you want to get fancy, then you can put some cinnamon sugar on it. And it's so easy. and It's so good. And you don't actually want this recipe because you'll just be eating them all the time. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> so good. No, but I think I do want it. <laughs> yes, so it's on my Instagram. You should check it out for sure. Okay. Uh, what are some of your other favorite things to make? So I love s'mores. So the funny thing is mm. I don't actually love marshmallow, but I love the idea of s'mores. I love making them. Like there's this social aspect to mm -hmm. I don't know, sitting around a fire and so in The Hundred Loves of Juliet, I made up this fictional restaurant called Axes and S'more. And so it's axe throwing on one side of the restaurant. And then the other side, every single table has this little fire pit in the middle. And the menu has tons and tons of s'mores platters. Like imagine a baking sheet, but it's got, you know, the graham crackers and the marshmallows and the chocolate, but not just normal s'mores. There's like Mexican chocolate s'mores, which comes with spiced chocolate. And there's like an Elvis Presley platter that's got bacon and peanut butter. And then of course there's a chocoholic one with like chocolate graham crackers and like a pot of Nutella. And so I had this extensive menu and this was in an earlier draft. And my agent was like, this is so great. Also, it totally slows the plot down. You can't have the entire restaurant menu in there. But I was like, it's so delicious. Like, she's like, nope, you're going to lose people. I'm like, who? Who are these people? Heathens. Why? Why are they even reading my book? I am now that starving. Right? I'm so sorry. But that got cut. But I just released the full extended access and s'more um, menu on my newsletter. Oh. And so if, if you sign up for my newsletter, which is at it's evelynsguy.substack.com, you get access to the archive so you can see the entire menu <laughs> that I was very, very excited to write and very sad that it didn't make into the book. Oh, I'm, well, I'm glad it exists. Yes. yes that's the important part. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, ooh s'mores i've never really gotten creative with s'mores before but there is so much that you could do so much you can yes. do you have opened I my little, mind i have to give you a preview though like the easter s'mores i came up with i was like so proud of myself but also a little sad because <laughs> the marshmallows are peeps like <laughs> oh, bunny yeah. marshmallows. <laughs> you make s'mores you're melting <laughs> that's fine the best thing to do is put a peep in the microwave for like 10 seconds that's what, that's what they're created for, right? It's like fulfilling yeah. their life purpose. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's amazing. I love it. All right. Well, I know you can't tell us too much about what you are working on next, but can you give us at least a little hint as to maybe what is to come from you next year? Yes. So next summer or fall, I don't have a release date yet. I have another book that is also set in modern day. It is 
a another second chance romance with a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of magic that isn't really magic, um, sort of like The Hundred Loves with Juliet. So if you like that kind of thing, that book is for you. And then I know also Courtney wanted to know about Damsel and the Netflix thing. So that's coming up next year. Damsel, the book is already out. That is my collaboration with Netflix. So you can get that now. And the movie, I believe, has been bumped to next year. It was supposed to come out in October. I haven't had official word that it's been moved, but I have a Google alert on my own name. And there's a couple of rumor (laughs) sites out there that have told me. Amazing. So, right? This is how I find out about my own career. Love that. Um, (laughs) Wild. But I figure the movie was supposed to come out in October originally. And that means that like a paperback would have come out before that, like I think maybe a month before, which at Mm. this point means that it'd be coming out like now and no one's told me anything about it. So I assume that maybe (laughs) these rumor sites do know something that I don't know through official channels. But anyway, that is a movie with Millie Bobby Brown and Angela Bassett and Robin Wright. And I got to be on the movie set in London a couple years ago, which was amazing. So amazing. My first time on a movie set. And it's, yeah, it's it's a great story. If you like fantasy and dragons, if you're into, I don't know, Fourth Wing and Millie Bobby Brown. And she is a woman who gets a marriage proposal from a prince. And she says yes. And she shows up and she gets this beautiful wedding and then finds out he's not planning to keep her around because she's being sacrificed to a dragon. So she's got to fight her way out. <laughs> amazing Evelyn incredible yeah so it's fun it's really fun so if that's your thing pick up damsel yay Yay. I feel like that's everyone's thing everyone's thing (laughs) so I love that yes and I love that you had your movie set moment I want that for like every author and I'm so happy for you yeah it was it was so amazing did you get a director's chair I did. Yes. yes. I mean, it didn't have my name on it, though, but it's a damsel okay. on it. And I, I got there's like a picture of me in it and stuff like that. I have all these pictures and I'm not allowed to share them until like right. the movie comes out and like official <laughs> movie publicity. But yeah, I think there's there's a Hollywood reporter out there, article out there. And I think there's a picture of me with a director. But amazing. anyway, yeah, they they had their um, their actual set photographer follow me around the set like Aww. different sets they had different sets that they weren't using that day and so I got to like do all these poses on Amazing. different sets and stuff like that it was it was wild you're like oh so no wild. paparazzi <laughs> right no I'm so awkward though they're like just look casual and I'm just like you mean like this doesn't my face look normal <laughs> oh my gosh that's incredible okay well I cannot wait for that and um please keep us posted because I want to know when that is coming to our lives. Yeah. Um, but for our listeners, where can they find you online so they can keep up with all the updates? So on social, I am on Instagram, Instagram at Evelyn underscore sky. And then my newsletter is a lot of behind the scenes, awesome stuff. That's only for newsletters, newsletter subscribers. I can't talk. We're at the end of our interview. And that is <laughs> Evelyn And it's free and yeah, come hang out with me online. Love it. Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Um, And we really appreciate you coming to hang out with us today. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. You're the best. Thank you you so much. Yes. And listeners, thank you for listening. And we'll chat with you more next week.
Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore K, K-A-E, on all social media platforms. And you can find me, Fallon Ballard, at Fallon Ballard, everywhere you imbibe your social media. If you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode, you can find links in the show notes. And a special shout out to Zachary Kibbe and Matt Ballard for our amazing theme song. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope to see you next time.